I used to run a online photo scavenger hunt. And the way this worked, it was kind of like the scavenger hunts that you kind of do at youth group, like where you have to you know, go out and you've got a bunch of points that you get and you get like you know, 10 points for a photo with a red car and 30 points for, for a photo with someone's grandma and 50 points for a photo of a tent set up in Woolworths or something like that. And you do it at youth group for a night. And I was like, well, I'm older now and it was really fun and I've got, but I've, I've got more money and I've got friends with more money and we've got, you know, time. So why don't we do a photo scavenger hunt, but we'll do it over an entire month and we'll have one photo that you've got to have per day. And then we'll have categories uh, that go from one to a hundred and you get one point for the easiest one and hundred points for the hardest one. And then we'll see how many people can participate. And so the lowest points that you get were one for a photo of your foot, uh, but then the highest points you get were 100 points for a photo of you standing on top of the Eiffel Tower in Paris holding your school photo wearing red shoes that you bought in Kenya during the month of March. Uh, and so that was kind of the, the range. And a bunch of people were like, yeah, this sounds fun, and they got in on it. And so we had people playing from around Sydney and then around Australia, and then other people from around the world playing this photo scavenger hunt and people were submitting photos every day and people would take it really seriously because you got a huge prize of absolutely nothing. Um, but people would participate, they wanted to do it. I had one friend who, uh, him and I for one year, we flew to New Zealand to take a photo, uh, which was pretty fun. But the next year I was like, I'm gonna step it up a bit. And uh, he disappeared uh, one day during the scavenger hunt and then turned up you know, a few, a day later or so in America. And he'd flown to the US for the photo scavenger hunt and he was there to get a whole bunch of different photos taken. Like, I think there was one that he had to have in front of the White House. He got one in a bank vault. But then the first photo that he submitted was a photo for the category for 83 points to be uh, you on a billboard. And the rules stated that it had to be you printed on a billboard. And he had gone to Times Square in New York and stood in front of a video billboard, which then took a photo of the crowd, and then you got up on the billboard. So he had, he had this, he stood there, took a photo of him, stuck on the billboard, and he was there, and then him on the billboard behind, and then he sent it in, and I saw it, and I was like, ha ha, good joke. Because like, it's definitely not printed on a billboard, it wasn't that hard, it took him 10 minutes to do it. I mean, he did fly to the US, but apart from that, it wasn't that hard. And I was like, I, I can't allow it, good joke. And so I wrote back to him, and went, ha ha ha, thanks very much, you know, that's not allowed. And he wrote back to his, why isn't it allowed? That's me on a billboard. I was like, no, you're not printed on a billboard. That's what the rules say. And he's like, I'm definitely on a billboard. I was like, you're not printed on a billboard. And then he got on Twitter and he stuck it up and he's like, this is me on a billboard and the judges won't let me have my photo. And then everyone got angry at me online and then they were like, give him his photo. And I was like, he's not getting his photo. And, and, there, and I got in the middle of like an internet controversy because I wouldn't allow this photo of him on the billboard to, to get past. Now, I tell you this story because in that situation, I couldn't win. Because I took a stand, I, there was no way that I was gonna make everyone happy. I took a stand, and if I took a stand and said it wasn't allowed through, then all those people who thought it should be allowed through were angry at me. But if I took a stand the other way and said, yeah, that's fine, then all the people who had read the rules and said, no, it shouldn't be allowed through, they would be angry at me. And so once you take a stand, then you're going to make people upset. Now, in the passage today, we see that Jesus is telling us that if we follow him, then there's going to be division. And if we take a stand with him, then we are going to cause division. 
And which is a bit strange for us because sometimes we might think about Jesus and think Jesus is all about, you know, just everyone getting along. Like Jesus came to earth so that we could all be friends and hold hands and have picnics together because that's because Jesus wants us all to to get along, get along. But here in this passage, Jesus says something very different. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Why would Jesus say that? Well, he says that because for him, he knows that he is going to claim the highest allegiance in your life. Jesus wants to be number one. Jesus comes to earth and claims to be God. And anyone who claims to be God is saying that they want to be first in your life. They want to set the agenda for your life. They want to tell you what is right and what is wrong. They want to let you know what is true and what isn't true. They want to tell you what you should value and what you shouldn't value. And if Jesus is going to take that place in your life, then it means everything else that wants to take that place is going to be in opposition to Jesus. And so you'll have to decide, is my allegiance going to be to Jesus or is it going to be to the other things in my life that want to take that place? And so in this passage, we see that Jesus is talking about that very opposition. And you're going to find that this opposition comes up again and again and again through your life. I don't know whether you feel it, but as those of us who are Christians uh, who are a bit older, we, most of us will notice that it's getting harder to be a Christian in today's society, that people are less tolerant of Christian values. Now, in Australia, it's nothing like being in those countries where people are actively persecuted and put in prison or even killed for being Christians, and we're very thankful that that doesn't happen in Australia. Uh, But even here, we can feel it. And it doesn't mean that it's not significant. Um, Just because it's not as bad as other places, it's still significant that's happening here. And my guess is it's just going to get worse and worse. So we need to be ready for that opposition that's coming. We need to be ready to say that we will take a stand for Jesus. So the things that are going to cause division in your life are anything that says it wants to be number one. And that's all sorts of things. You know, your friends want to be number one in your life. They probably don't say that, but you go and start hanging out with another bunch of friends and see how your friends respond. If you've got a job, your work will want to be number one in your life. They will tell you that that's got to be your highest commitment. Your school will want to be number one in your life. My guess is they keep telling you that this is the most important time in your life. And if you're about to do your HSC, they'll be telling you like the HSC is the most important time of your life. And if you don't do well in your HSC, then you're not going to do well in life. You're not going to be able to get a good job. You're not going to be able to, you know, get any money. And then you're going to be homeless. So you better do the HSC properly because the school is wanting to say that they are the most important thing in your life. The government and your country wants to be the most important thing in your life. And they say, oh, yes, you can have your values as long as it fits in with Australian values. There are all these things that claim the highest place in your life. And Jesus here talks about one very significant one, and that's your family. This is what he says. He says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What Jesus is saying there is saying that if you follow him, then that will cause division with your family. And he is dividing us from the things which want to be number one above him. 
Now, families are great and families are important and it's important to love your family. But it's oftentimes that we find that the people who love us the most are the people who want the most from us. And if you spend time with your family, sometimes you'll find that there's going to be opposition between what Jesus wants and what your family wants. You know, I've spent a lot of time working as a youth minister in churches. And even I found that Christian families who are really supportive of their kids going to church and going to youth group and participating in Bible study, even they can come up in opposition against Christian things. And they don't even know that they're doing it, but then they'll, they'll be like, yeah, they should, my kids should do all that stuff. And then they organize family activities during those events that are happening and then expect their kids to have to choose between the family and the stuff that's happening at church. Or they're like, yeah, we love you going to church and stuff until it's exam time. And they're like, no, maybe you should stay home and study for your exams. And there's an opposition there. If your family isn't Christian, then you're going to find it even harder. And there's going to be issues not only just when it comes to stuff at school and stuff, but when, if you're older and when it's time to start choosing your, what you're doing for uni or for your career, if you choose something uh, that your family doesn't like, but it's something that you think that God is calling you to, you can have opposition there. And you'd be ready to, to say, am I going to give in to what my family wants from me or am I going to choose what Jesus wants from me? And it's going to be difficult. Now, what Jesus is saying here isn't saying uh, that you should then ignore your family and just do whatever you want. Like You can't be like, your parents can't be like, hey, can you please unpack the dishwasher? And you're like, no, I'm choosing Jesus. I'm going to go to my room and pray. <laughs> no, part of you know, being a follower of Jesus is that you honor your parents and you love your brother and sister and you participate in your family well. The only time where you need to choose Jesus over your family is when they're in opposition to Jesus. Most of the time, they're not going to be. Most of the time, you are going to have to fit in. Now, I'm not telling you how you make that decision because you're going to need wisdom about how you deal with things like when your family wants you to stay at home and study rather than go to church or when your family has a family holiday on at the same time as as, uh, as maybe a mission trip that you're doing with the church. You need to figure out how you deal with that and you can spend some time talking to youth leaders and people who know you well. I'm not telling you what the decision to make is there, but I am telling you that it's going to be hard because Jesus divides us from everything that wants to be number one. And it's going to take courage to make tough decisions. It's going to take courage when you come up against opposition. Now, you might be thinking, my, my life... My life isn't like this. Pretty much everything fits together. Uh, but, but it can easily change really quickly. You can easily find yourself in a situation where you have to choose between what Jesus wants from you and what other people want from you. And you can lose things. It can cost you. And so you're going to have to have the courage to choose what Jesus wants over those other things. I'll give you an example. And this is not a family example. This is like a school example. Uh, imagine uh, that there's Brittany. Uh, and Brittany and Sophie both love the same guy, and his name is Nick. And they are... Okay, only one person got that. So <laughs> don't worry about it. That was a bachelor joke. Oh, yeah. All right. Ignore that. There's Brittany and no Sophie and no Nick. But Brittany, she, is, she loves being in the school musical. Like, that's what the thing she loves to do. And so early in the year, in February, she auditioned for the school musical. She got in, she got, she got the main part. And so she's really excited and she's, she's really committed. 
She's going to all the rehearsals every Saturday. She's there at school rehearsing. She's there after school rehearsing. She has, you know, smaller rehearsals with just the main cast. And she does all those things. And then a, a few months before the, the musical is on, um, the, the musical director, the drama teacher, says to everyone in Cascade, now we've got to step it up. And musical rehearsals are now also going to be on Wednesday lunchtimes. And Brittany realizes there's a problem because Brittany, not only is she really committed to her musical, she's also really committed to her crew group. And she's a leader at her crew group. And so she knows that there's going to be a conflict here. And so she goes to the teacher and says, oh, is it okay if I miss these rehearsals on Wednesday because I've really got to do the crew group, I'm a leader there. And the teacher says, no, if you can't come to those rehearsals, then you can't be in the musical. And Brittany now knows that she has a choice that she's got to make. Is she going to go with the musical and let her crew group down, the thing that she's committed to? Or is she going to leave the crew group and go to the musical, which she really loves? Which one is she going to do? If she leaves the musical, then she's going to not only let herself down and the thing that she loves, she's going to let her friends down, the people who are there and the people who are relying on her, and her teacher's going to be upset with her. But also there's, there's Jesus, who she's committed to. Which is she going to choose? And that's going to cost her. Either way, it's going to cost her. And she's got to choose how she's going to take a stand. And is she going to give in to the demands that are made on her or is she going to stand up for Jesus? And that's a tough choice. And it can be easy to, to face these things. And they can come up really quickly. And you have to know, what am I going to do when they come along? Well, if you want to know how to be able to stand up for Jesus, well, Jesus gives us a good reason to, or a good way to be prepared to. Because one of the things, one of the reasons why we find it so difficult to stand up for Jesus at school or at work or with our family, or with our friends, wherever it is, the reason why we find it hard is because we are worried about ourselves. Because we're worried about our reputation. We're worried about the things that we want, because we're holding on to things for ourselves. And so Jesus here gives us the, the, another thing that we need to be divided from, another thing that wants to take first place in our life, and that's ourselves. In verse 38, Jesus says this, Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And Jesus is saying there that you need to be willing to put him above even yourself. And if you can choose him above yourself, then you can choose him above anything. What Jesus is saying there is if you take up your cross, you're saying that you're going to die. You're taking up your cross to go and die because the cross was an instrument of death. Like if I told you, go and grab your swimmers, you would think, oh, we're going for a swim. If I told you, hey, go and grab a shovel and come with me, you'd say, oh, hey, we're going to bury a body. So if I, <laughs> if I say to you, hey, go and grab a cross, then what you know is that you are going to die because the cross is only there to go and die. And Jesus is saying that we need to be prepared even to die for him. And now it doesn't mean that you are going to die every day for Jesus or even that you are necessarily going to die for Jesus. But what it does mean is that you have to love Jesus even more than you love yourself. 
that you have to love Jesus even more than you love the, your reputation, that you love Jesus even more than you love anything. And, and we need to be willing to give up the things in our life that are precious to us because Jesus is even more precious. And that will be difficult because we love ourselves. We are obsessed with ourselves. I am obsessed with myself. Like I often uh, do talks like this and uh, I will you know, stand up here and I'll tell um, self-deprecating stories uh, with you know, some jokes and, and then I... And, and then I want to talk about Jesus. I want people to know about Jesus. But also I go away and I sit down afterwards and then I start running through all the stories about myself that I've told. And then I'm like, oh, how well did I go? Did they laugh enough? Did, did I tell the story enough? Did, when I told that story about myself, did I seem, you know, like kind of dumb and admirable or just dumb, dumb? Like, like how did I seem? I want to seem like a, someone who people would like. And, and, you know, but, but how does it, like I'm thinking about myself. I'm not thinking about, you know, did, the, did my message work? Was I really clear talking about Jesus? It doesn't matter about me. It always matters. I'm thinking about myself. Or when I post something on Facebook or on Instagram, I'm thinking about myself because I'm obsessed with myself. I'm checking, I'm like, how many likes do I have? How many responses do I have? Do people send me messages? What's going on? Because I'm always thinking about myself. I'm obsessed with myself. And some of you are sitting there going, ah, well, that's you, Tom. But I, 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 I know that I'm not obsessed with myself because I do not like myself at all. I definitely do not like myself. You, and you look in the mirror and you see yourself and you're like, you're, I am too fat, I'm too tall, I'm too skinny, I, my nose is weird, my voice is too high, so I don't love myself, so I'm fine. But the reason why you are thinking those things about yourself is because you are obsessed with yourself, because that's all about you. And what Jesus is saying here is that it's not about you. And what you need to be able to do is look in the mirror and say, here is someone who has been made by Jesus. Someone who is fearfully and wonderfully made. And that Jesus loves you. However tall you are, he made you that tall and he loves you that way. Wherever wide you are or skinny you are, whatever your voice sounds like or your laugh is like, or what, whatever you are, Jesus made you like that and he loves you. And the more time you spend figuring out that Jesus loves you, the less time you have to worry about whether you love you or other people love you. Because what matters most is that there is a God in heaven and he loves you and he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And if you can hold on to that reality, then you can be able to say, well, I don't need to love me the most because I know that Jesus does. Now, none of these things that Jesus asks us to do are things that he hasn't been willing to do himself. The Bible tells us that Jesus was divided from his family, that his earthly family thought he was insane and he was still willing to go about his ministry, that on the cross his father uh, turned his back on him and Jesus did it for us, that Jesus was willing to be divided from himself to die on the cross for us. He only asks us to do things that he's willing to do himself. And the only reason that we can do these things is because Jesus has done them for ourselves. Sorry, for us. And so we can serve Jesus then. We can serve Jesus because it's Him that is number one. And if you want to spend less time thinking about yourself and more time thinking about Jesus, then the best thing to do is to serve. There's a guy called Wick, Rick, Rick Warren, not Wick Warren, Rick Warren, who said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it is thinking of yourself less. And the, the more that we spend time serving Jesus, 
the more that we spend time thinking about how can we honor him, the less we'll be worried about ourselves, the more we'll be able to choose him over everything else. So what does this look like uh, in practice? Because as I said, you know, we are going to be facing more opposition. As we've heard here in the talking today uh, with prayer for schools, there are some schools it's really hard to be a Christian in. There is more opposition to Christians in schools than there has been before. Uh, a few years ago in Victoria, the Victorian government made a rule uh, that in every state school, there could be no Christian Bible study groups or prayer groups uh, that were run by outsiders. And so they put out this rule and pretty much all the state schools just shut down every Christian group in the state. And then, the, then there was a bit of backlash and the government came back and said they clarified about how things could work. But pretty much the damage was done and very few uh, groups were able to restart. The church that I was working in down in Melbourne, uh, we had a group and then it got shut down and then the school was like, well, you know, if you want to come back, you've got to submit everything that you're going to teach and, you, and, you, and then we submitted the stuff and then, and then they never got back to us, they didn't give us a room and, and they used that as a chance to shut things down. So as you face opposition in your school, what are you going to do? Well, I've got a few, a few tips, uh, really quick tips for how you can be able to stand up for Jesus at school. One, the first one is to be ready to never compromise on the gospel. There are some really central things about the Christian faith. And you need to be willing to say these are things that we do not bend on. The fact that Jesus is God, the fact that we believe that there is one way to salvation and that's through Jesus, that there is a God and he loves us, but there is also a God who judges sin, that we are sinful people and that we need to repent and turn back to him. These are things that people will have problems with. And so we need to be willing to say we do not compromise on those things. And the school can tell you that you're not allowed to talk about those things in an official group. But they can't tell you what you, believe, what you can believe yourself. And so they cannot compromise your heart if you don't let them. And so never, ever compromise on what you teach. And never compromise on these core truths of the gospel. But the second thing is, the second point is, don't fight the secondary issues. There are some things that we don't need to spend time fighting about. There are theological issues that crew has decided that, you know, while there is teaching in the Bible about these things, that it's not going to fight about them because the most important thing is the gospel. And so you need to be willing to say, well, is this stuff that, is this stuff core stuff? Or is this stuff stuff that is secondary to the gospel? Like, like a really simple thing is, um, which, which the Bible doesn't even teach about, if the school was like, hey, you're not allowed to play these games in your crew group, you, can't, you don't have to be like, well, we're not having a group then. If we can't play games, we're done. This is terrible. Then you say, oh, no, we can, we can adjust there. But if they'll say, no, you're not allowed to teach about sin anymore, well, then you have to figure out what you're going to do because that is a core issue. You know, fight on the main things and don't fight about the little things. But the third thing is be known for your love more than your fight. We talked yesterday about being a group that serves the school. And what if you were known as the Christians in the school who went out and you were an asset to the school so that when opposition comes up, it's not opposition against the group that no one knows about, the group that hides away in a classroom every Tuesday lunchtime 
and, and is you know, inoffensive, but also no one really knows what you're doing. If you are out in the school and you are a blessing to the school, then when they come against you, they're coming against people who people know and love. And even if you got kicked out of the school, imagine if you decided, well, we're still going to meet. And we're going to meet before school. I used to go to um, combined ICF meetings, which is like crew group ICF meetings, at McDonald's before school. So you could go to Macca's before school and have your crew group and then go to school. And that's a double win. <laughs> and then if you said, and we're not going to meet in school, if we're not allowed to meet in school and talk about Jesus anymore, we're going to meet in school and serve like Jesus. We're going to meet and we're going to clean up the playground. We're going to meet and we're going to hang out with the kids who, who have no one else to hang out with them. We're going to meet and clean desks so that you are known for your love more than your fight. You don't compromise on the truth of the gospel, but you also don't compromise on the love of the gospel. You are still going to face opposition, but you can face it well. The last thing I want to say is this. Jesus tells us uh, in verses 32 and 33, uh, he says this. He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And what he's saying there is if we are willing to stand up for him, he stands up for us. We don't want to be people who deny him because we have seen what he has done for us at the cross. When I was uh, in school, when I was in year seven, I was leaving school one day and my mom had come to pick me up from school as a surprise. She was standing there at the school gate and I saw her there and I got really embarrassed I was like, everyone's going to be looking at me and judging me because I'm obsessed with myself. And they'll be judging me that my mum is there and I don't know how to catch the bus by myself. And then when I got closer, I noticed that not only had she come to pick me up, but she'd put on makeup when she came to pick me up. And for me, this was a terrible, terrible thing to do. I don't know why I was in year seven. And so I, instead of you know, talking to my mum when I saw her, I looked at her and then I just walked straight past her. And then I went to the car and I hopped in the car and then she kind of ran after me and she went, Tom, Tom, what's wrong? And I turned to her and I was like, don't you ever come to school and pick me up wearing lipstick again. Because <laughs> I was the worst. I was like, everyone was like, oh, that's the guy whose mum wears lipstick. I was like, everyone's mum wears lipstick. It's fine. I don't know what my problem was. But then I heard my mum telling that story later on to someone a few years later, and she said, I knew then when that happened that I had lost my little boy who loved me no matter what. I was like, oh man, what a horrible kid. <laughs> because my mom had done everything for me. She loved me unconditionally. She fed me. She housed me. She came to pick me up from school. She put on makeup so she'd look good at the school gate. She looks good anyway. But she, you know, she did everything for me, and I turned my back on her. We don't want to do that to the people we love, and we particularly don't want to do that to Jesus. Because what Jesus says here is that if we stand up for him, he will acknowledge us before the Father. That he went to the cross for us, and he will stand beside Jesus, beside God, and he will say, that one I died for them, and that one I died for them, and that one I died for them. That Jesus stood up for us, will we stand up for him? We are going to face opposition. Are we going to give in to that opposition? Or are we going to stand up for Jesus? Will we let him divide us from everything that wants to take his place? 
Will we stand with him who died for us? How about I pray? Lord God, thank you for your son Jesus, that he gave his life for us, that he was willing to be identified with us, even at the cost, the ultimate cost to himself. We thank you that Jesus acknowledges us before you. I pray that we'll be people who acknowledge him before others, no matter what the opposition is that comes. And I pray for those of us who are doing it tough at school, are doing it tough at home, doing it tough with our friends, that you'll give each person your spirit so that they might have the strength to stand for you, knowing that you are standing with them. Amen.